I know there's some folks that still say, well, Brother Wilson's really the pastor, but that's because you don't know what you're talking about. But whatever you want to think, that's fine. That's not the way it is. Amen. But the Rock Church, um, I told the group the other night, I think is growing faster and is stronger in doctrine and truth and apostolic dynamics and separation and a clear-cut picture of where we're coming from and where we're going. It is further into all of those things and more good things than that, missions, worldwide vision, than it has ever been in its history. And um, when I think of Brother Young, I always smile a little bit because when I was 14 years ago, I could still play a little basketball, not much, but some. And uh, I used to go play basketball with him. And I would watch as if they didn't know him repeatedly, they would pick him uh, all these big ex-college players and ex-pro players. and They would pick him last because at that time he was a tad chubby and, um, and a little white boy. And... Uh, about six foot tall and and I would always just chuckle because I thought he is just fixing to eat your lunch and uh, and he would and I and so my little mantra to him was the man uh, the most easy man in the world to underestimate because he's so uh, uh, non egotistical and all of that but he carries a a big load and uh, has a tremendous and wonderful and refreshing anointing on his life and he and sister young are doing a great job along with the leaders of the rock church of moving it forward amen and of course he does a lot of other things but we appreciate your brother young we want you to come tonight and preach the word and we're just going to open our hearts and I don't know what God's going to do tonight but I'm so excited about what God's going to do I, I can't hardly stand it God bless you brother. let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight and give him a shout of praise while you're doing it hallelujah praise God amen if you have your Bible let's go to the book of Nehemiah amen we're thankful for everybody that's here in the house of the Lord last night brother Blash how many were blessed by what we heard last night amen and then then today like only the both of them can brother Parker and brother Wilson were you blessed today by the word of the Lord amen I give honor to all of the men of God all of the sponsors and the other speakers I'm looking forward to tomorrow and uh, so many friends that are here and new folks that we're getting to know we're glad you're here and saints of God uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to give a disclaimer because I know how conferences are. I grew up in Pentecost. And I know what happens at conferences. 
people say, well, there's this agenda and there's that agenda. And what he's really saying is that. And what he means is this. And what he means is that. And then we go to the restaurant and we talk about what they said and how they should have said it or what they really meant that they didn't say. At least that's a world of Pentecost I'm familiar with. Is there any honest folks that know about that? Y'all lying already, I can tell. So here's my disclaimer. Tonight, I'm just going to preach. I'm going to tell you what I mean, what I think. I'm not here picking teams or clubs. If you're apostolic and you baptize in Jesus' name, you got the Holy Ghost, you're living a separated life, I'm on your team tonight, and it's time to give hell a bad night. I want somebody that's ready for a move, the Holy Ghost. I want the power of the Spirit to fall in this house like rain tonight, to shake every one of us from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. I want you to give God the biggest praise you've given Him all week right now. Hallelujah! come on we take it up a little bit higher right now we want to leave here full of the holy ghost praise god praise god amen look at your neighbor say he's on your team amen i'm going to tell you who i'm preaching to and then we're going to preach I'm preaching to home missionaries. I'm preaching to pastors that are fighting hell. I'm preaching to people that are almost about to give up tonight. I'm preaching to people that you drug yourself here. You had to borrow money to get here. You had to tell somebody something. Well, I give it back if you give me the money to get there. And then others of you had to talk yourself into getting here, but you're here. And God's got a word for you. And that word is you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Praise God. So get your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 2. Every preacher in here is all ready to preach because you all have preached about Nehemiah. If you haven't preached about Nehemiah, you're missing it. Nehemiah is the dude. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, that's not a Datsun by a new name, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. Nehemiah said, And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. He's still dealing with a king. So he's afraid of what the response is going to be. And so I said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? thus begins one of the greatest stories that is told in 13 chapters in the Old Testament scripture and so from the beginning of that story I'll jump later into the story and lift my text from a verse that I won't read but you know it well and my title is I can't come down I can't come down look at your neighbor and shake them a little bit 
say sorry I can't come down come on say it like you believe it I can't come down I'm doing a great work and I can't come down Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise tonight. You may be seated. Our story begins during the Babylonian captivity. Israel, Judah is there because of their disobedience. And the judgment of God has come in such a manner that they wind up 70 years in judgment in Babylon. But as is always the case, wherever God gives judgment, he also gives escape. And the hand of God is seen working in an expeditious manner, and their captivity is turned. And the power of Babylon is broken as a man that the Bible prophetically speaks before and God calls him. He says, Cyrus, my servant, Cyrus the Great enters the picture and the mighty army of the Medes and the Persians uproots and undoes the power of mighty Babylon. Cyrus, who is evidently in some dimension anointed and called by God, maybe not even understanding himself probably that is true but nevertheless God's still God the Bible says in one place I know there's people worried about what's going on in Crimea and Russia and all of the above the Bible says that the nations of the earth are as the drop of a bucket to God God's not worried about anything So Cyrus issues the decree and goes beyond decree. There seems to be even encouragement that Cyrus gives to the Hebrews and the Jews are allowed to return to their home city. The holy city of Jerusalem, 50,000 of them make that initial journey and under the leadership of Zerubbabel, they go lay the foundation of the temple. And you know well, reading the Word of God, that it's a good thing, but it is not without its challenges. There are difficulties, there are seasons where the work is halted and struggle, and people have taken the wood for the house of God and have wainscoted their own houses with that material. You know that well, I won't take time to go into that. But Jerusalem, even though now in our text there is a temple, and there are 50,000 and whatever those 50,000 have produced locally, Jerusalem is still in a state of ruin due to the hardship of war and years now of enemy occupation. Only time would reveal how ugly that would be as the holy city is left in the aftermath of conflict, a vacuum is there because the people that loved it dearest are gone and so there are like happens in so many 
third world countries are Middle Eastern countries where one government is taken out and another is placed there you know what happens warlords and the strength of tribes or whoever holds the most power locally steps into the vacuum and thus was the case of the city of Jerusalem Jerusalem is laying there unprotected she is fair game she is easy prey she, is, she has become subject to the powers that are nearest and corruption and even domination of the 50,000 that are there as they are left somewhat alone and before you are tempted to just brush this story off as another just one of those narratives in the Old Testament that doesn't have a lot to do with you let me remind you this is in fact one of the most important stories in your Bible maybe before we're done you will see the importance of this passage maybe in a little bit uh, more relevant fashion this scripture has prophetic inclination if you go to the book of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 the Bible said know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will come it will be seven weeks but he went on to say that that will be an indication that a prophetic utterance is given and he said that the city or the street will be complete or repaired or restored and the walls everybody say the walls but he said prophetically the wall will be rebuilt even in troublous times that's an important verse for us tonight Daniel 9 25 you ought to mark that one in your Bible for the rest of your life if you're a man of God he said the wall is going to be rebuilt even in troublous times this story has prophetic overtones and Messiah and eschatology and the worship of the church and even the revelation of who God is is all connected to this story that we're preaching about tonight. Jerusalem is in the state of no security, no protection. There is no standing army to defend her. There is no defense mechanism to rely upon. The people of God are their little group of 50,000 or so have grown maybe by what children they have given birth to and maybe what few proselytes there may have been, but they're still basically an unprotected, weak and weary people. There's no progress. There is no strength. There is no vision. There is no leadership. And it is into that scenario that onto the stage steps a man by the name of Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer to the king. Would you say cupbearer? At first gla glance, we, we are tempted to ask the question, no doubt, like others did at that time, why a butler? We got an unprotected city. We've got prophetic overtones. We've got prophecy that's connected to worship and the revelation of who Messiah will be. And onto the scene, the main player is now the butler. Why the butler? Butler in our English language comes from a French word that is boutelier, which means he who's in charge of the bottles. You see, Nehemiah, to be in the place of the cupbearer, was to be the one in charge of the bottles, 
of the wine for the king. He was the one to whom the king would rely on whether or not he should drink or eat. He was also the one, history says, that cupbearers are the butlers were those that were the judge of the festivities that were there to entertain the king and his court. They were hand-selected, not by a committee. They were hand-selected by the king because it had to be one upon whom the king could rely because his life at times would depend upon who would come into his court his life would depend upon what and who would serve the wine or the meal and so here this man of God the butler Nehemiah was a man in position of influence Nehemiah was given at one point the Bible tells us his brethren had returned from Jerusalem they come giving a report they begin to describe the state of Jerusalem maybe there had been thoughts in Nehemiah's mind of uh, of glory days and what he had heard about and maybe even read about in conversation of others in the king's court that were from there but now the report comes back that yes the temple is there yes the building is there but there's no victory and there's no encouragement and there's no strength and there's no defense and the people your family and your distant friends uh, they are there in a state of pain and hurt and loneliness and weakness but something began to happen as he heard this report from our vantage point it's pretty easy to understand that the call of God is at work but Nehemiah goes from that conversation and something gets a hold of his heart there are people in this room tonight that know well what I'm referring to when I say the call of God Nehemiah left that conversation and something began to happen in him the call of God I don't even know if he knew what it was but he began to think about Jerusalem he began to think about what it could be and he began to think brother Blash about the potential of what Jerusalem was supposed to be and what his people were supposed to be and, and he found himself crying for no reason Walking down the path to the palace, he looks over and sees something and, and it strikes his mind and reminds him of Jerusalem and the state and he begins to cry again. I know that, you know that, you're driving down the road, you get a call of God to start a church and you look at a billboard and it's got an airplane and suddenly you start crying and nobody knows but you. Your brain's thinking about stuff and you can't sleep and you go to bed at night and you got a burden for your city. You got a burden for your community and, and you can't even seem to think right and you can't sleep and this reminds you of that and that reminds you of this. And, and here was the state of Nehemiah as everything suddenly began to remind him of the state of Jerusalem the call of God captured Nehemiah's heart are you with me tonight there are people in this room that you know what it's like to cry for no reason you know what it's like to lay in bed dreaming what could be it consumed him it drove him to the point of maybe thinking he was going to lose his mind for four months he carried evidently this burden secretly Nehemiah kept performing the duty of cupbearer. He continued to serve the king. That'll preach. He had a burden for another place, but he continued to serve the king. He continued to go about, as Brother Morton always tells us, the perfect will of God is the present duty at hand. He continued to serve, but 
something happened over that four months as Artaxerxes began to notice that something is different about Nehemiah. Maybe he had seen that look before. Because Artaxerxes was the son of Xerxes. The king that Jewish Bible scholars tell us married a Jewish maiden by the name of Esther. Scholars tell us that this king could very possibly be the stepson to Queen Esther. So maybe something in the eyes of Nehemiah looked familiar to his stepmother as he looked back in his memory and thought about the look that he had seen on his on her face years earlier or heard the story as he's sitting on the throne waiting for another cup of wine and he looks and tries to make conversation but something is happening on the face and in the in the attitude of Nehemiah he's going about his duty he's serving he's working he's guarding he's protecting but something is happening on the inside. Ken, I preached to some young preacher here today. The call of God is on your life. You don't need a card. You don't need a YouTube channel. You don't need a website. It will come out. If it's a real call of God, it will consume you. You don't have to worry about getting a billboard and promoting yourself. Just believe that God is at work and somewhere at some point, the world of God, the work of God is going to make itself known. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God knows well how to change even your job situation. There's some of you young, this ain't in my message, but I feel this. Some of you are in uh, an economic situation where you're working a job and you've got a call of God upon your life and you're thinking, well, if I just quit this job and if I did, let me tell you something. God has a way, if he can change the heart of a king, he can change your situation. You don't need to do nothing crazy. You just need to stay true to who you are, keep doing what you're supposed to do, and let God work it out. It's evident that God's involved in this thing and the king follows through in a way that only kings can. He equips him, he empowers him, he anoints him, and he sends him. He even connects him with Asaph, the keeper of the forest, where to get the wood to restore the walls and gates he's wanting to do. He's connected. He's appointed. He's anointed. He's equipped and he's prepared. Somebody preached about that earlier today. There are people here today that you have been anointed. You may already be in your situation. But with appointment, get ready. You're going to be opposed. Somebody here tonight, you drug yourself to no limits. And you thought I've been anointed. I thought I was called. I thought I was appointed. But everything is going wrong in my life. And you're feeling about the time it is to throw in the towel and give up and say, I'm not called, I'm not anointed, I'm not appointed. Can I tell you that opposition comes because you're appointed? The 
moment the king anoints you, the moment the king appoints you, get ready, you've got a date with opposition. You may as well get it in your brain and deep in your spirit. Any man or woman that is going to do the will of God is going to face hell at some time. Somebody said that opposition is the native soil of leadership. They don't build statues to people that didn't have struggles. And so in the second chapter, verse number 10, the Bible said when Sanballat, Horonite, and Tobiah, notice, notice, the slave. Don't forget that. That's important later on. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the slave, the Ammonite is his description. When they heard about Nehemiah, the Bible said it grieved them exceedingly. But notice what the rest of the text says. The reason they were upset was not that another Jew was coming to Jerusalem. They were not upset that even a man had been appointed or anointed by the king. They were not upset that it was a cupbearer. They were not upset that he was probably good looking and full of cool words. That was not what upset them. But what grieved them exceedingly was that there was a man who was come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. What makes the devil mad is when a God called man shows up in town not to build a building and get a sign and a card but a man shows up to make a difference to save a soul to change a life Let me just let you in on a secret. The devil don't care about temples. He don't care about titles. He don't care about positions. He don't care about anything that you got in your pocket you can carry. But what the devil don't like is a man with a burden for a city that'll weep over nothing and look at a city and start crying and start praying and start preaching. That makes the devil crazy. Because when somebody shows up that's concerned about the welfare of the people, it's going to mess up his racket. It's going to mess up his stronghold, as we heard preached about. So here it's not long until the cartel shows up. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria in the north. Tobiah was the governor of Ammon. He seems to be like a vassal servant. The Bible calls him the slave, indicating that he's under subjection to Sanballat. But he's the dominating force on the eastern side of Jerusalem. Geshem, other places he's called Gashnu. Geshem is the tribal ruler of Kedar. The Bible calls him the Arab. This man controls the southern side. So north, east, and south. Cartel of carnality is dominating this city. Historically, as I begin to research these three, these regions that they controlled, 
controlled all the traffic from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean Sea. And their dirty fingers were in every bit of that traffic and trade. They were heaping to themselves wealth. It was a profitable enterprise. And they had seized the opportunity, an unprotected city with weak and weary, lonely people. A vacuum is there. And this cartel steps in. And now some cute butler is going to try and come in here and mess up our little scheme and they begin to deride and begin to talk about and begin to mock but somebody needs to hear what the response from Nehemiah was he began to declare the vision of the Lord I know your city's got every kind of racket imaginable. I know you deal with everything from the Russian mob to the Mexican cartel, and on it goes. I've come to tell somebody, your God's got a vision that's bigger than the KKK, that's bigger than the drug cartel, that's bigger than Miami 15. My God is bigger. It don't matter what stronghold is there. Your God is well able. how bad your city is don't tell me how rough your environment is just go preach what God gave you come on somebody praise him right now Come on, pastor, start praising him for what he's going to do. Do you still have a vision for your city? Do you still have a burden for that community? Do you still believe God can save your children? Do you still believe God can change your situation? You may be seated. The answer, preacher, is keep casting the vision. He didn't run home and cry. He kept preaching to the people. The Bible said he told them in verse number 18 of chapter 2, Then I told them of the hand of my God that was good upon me. He wanted them to remember God sent me. God's doing a good thing here in the space of the mockers, in the face of the despisers. He continued to give forth the vision that the hand of God is at work. You need to go back to your city Sunday morning and tell your church, we're going to have a church in this city. We're going to have revival in this city. The hand of God is upon me. The anointing of the Holy Ghost is upon me to preach deliverance to the captive and set at liberty them that are bruised. This is not a time to back up and cry in your buttermilk. It's a time to hit the pulpit and start preaching like you've never preached before. Preach, preacher! Preach, but it ain't just on the preacher I'm going to preach to the saints right now because they got involved the Bible said and they said when your preacher preaches you don't let him need to let him preach back you need to preach back at him when he starts declaring the good hand of God upon the church, you need to holler back at him and say, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. 
listen to what they said. And they said, let us arise and build. That don't sound like intimidation to me. That doesn't sound like fearful, scared, weak, lonely. I'll tell you what happens, preacher, when you get to preach in faith and you get to declare in the will of God, it gets on good people in those pews and they get a hold of it and they start throwing it back and they say, Pastor, we can build this thing. We can do this thing. We can get it done. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you got to get a we can do this attitude. We got to get a we can do this attitude. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Verse 19. But. You ever notice how many buts are in the Bible there? But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us. Preacher, not everybody is going to be happy with what you preach. I, I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips, but ain't everybody happy with what you preach. You have got to understand, I've got to understand, our theme this week is into the heavenlies. Look at the say, into the heavenlies. Amen. Nehemiah. You can put your name in that line. What's happening here is more than some construction. What Nehemiah did not even himself realize is that he had stepped into a deep mystical realm of spiritual warfare. That held as Daniel 9.25, Brother Julian Ryder knows that verse well. That verse had particular emphasis about a world that was still to come. So it's reaching to the future while it's reaching to a world that is gone in the past that Nehemiah wasn't even aware. Can I tell a preacher something? When you walked into that city, you thought you were fighting flesh and blood, but you weren't. You have tied in with a devil that was there before you ever got there. Amen. We're, we're apostolics. We're, we're, we're holiness people. We love to preach about that old, those old paths. Go, go search out the old path. We, we love to preach about that, and that's all true. But those old paths are a lot deeper than just some old rules and some old books that you go read and find. No. You, you, want, you want to know what that really, really means, Bishop? Am I right when I preach this? He says, you go, you go, what he's indicating, you go get on those old paths. In other words, there's some old passageways where there's been some stuff that's transacted and happened. And you go get in the path and you start looking and you find the path that's worked. And you follow that path. But there's more there than just find the one that worked. What he's telling you is there is a dimension of ancient passageways. That's what Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 7 talked about. Remember, Joshua the high priest is there and he's in those dirty garments. And then God begins to speak to him. The priest is there and God is there. And Satan's there and angels are there and demons are there. And God looks at him and said, Joshua, I'm going to take you to places. You're going to walk in ways. 
When you become the anointed and called of God to pastor and you become a leader in the church and as a church you begin to build a church in a city, what you just did is you stepped into the mystical realm of demons and old paths of angels and God in the heavens and that's where those staff meetings are taking place where God's up there with the other sons of God. You're in a movement. You're in a place that's bigger and deeper. You're in the heavenly realm. So when you go to City Hall and you can't get that permit, you're not battling flesh and blood. You're battling demonic strongholds from old past, from the, the centuries gone by. You may be seated. When you get a burden for a city, you begin to move into a world of older things than your immediate situation. Nehemiah says, well, I'm just wanting to fix a few walls and hang a few gates and help a few poor people here. Uh, I didn't ask for all that. But see, it's a lot deeper than you realize. Let's talk about that cartel. They're, they're, they're in their own purpose. They're, they're mentioned over and over and over again. Geshem the Arab. That could indicate, there, there's a, you've preached this a hundred ways and you just stick yours on it and do it. The Arab, that represents the regional forces. That re, represents those natural things that you're going to fight just because you're there. Then there's Tobiah the slave. We'll come back to him a little later. But Tobiah the Ammonite, that represents old wounds, old hurts, old attacks. And then there's the kingpin of the cartel. Sandballot. Well, I preached about Sandballot a lot. Sandballot is a lot worse dude than you realize. Sandballot is actually a transliteration from the Neo-Assyrian Aramaic. His name is really not Sandballot. His name is actually Sinbalit, which means begotten of sin. Now, not sin, I know we could preach that, but it's not sin like righteousness and evil, or righteousness and unrighteousness sin. Sin was actually the name of a Sumerian god. His name was spelled S-I, and the I wasn't a dot, it had a little, tri uh, a little arrow over it. Sin was also known in other terms as Nana. Sin and Nana, when you see Nana or you see Sin, you're actually talking about the moon god of ancient Sumerian worship. And so Sinballot or Sanballat, as it's transliterated into your English Bible, is not just a guy with a bad attitude. His name is in there over and over again. And he's got the slave, Tobiah, who is his vassal governor. And he's connected with the king of Kedar, the, 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 the tribal chieftain here of, of the Arabs. And he's got this little group he's controlling. He stepped into the vacuum. But really, Nehemiah, what you don't realize, he's not just here to stop you from building walls. There's a deep mystical warfare going on. Because what you may not know, Nehemiah, is where there were two temples to the god of sin, Anana. There was one in the north and there was one in the south. The one in the north was that particular city and it was known as the Temple of Light. 
which happened to be in the city known as Ur of the Chaldees. And to the south was the house of joy, a temple built to find your joy in the God of Nana or Sin, which happened to be in the south in a city named Haran. The very two cities that Father Abraham is called out of. I guess that's just accidental or coincidental. No, it's not at all. What God is showing us is that Nehemiah, when you stepped into that city, you are tagging into old battles that covenant people have had to come out of for a long time. They had to come out of Ur, and your daddy had to come out of Haran, and you're stepping into this place, and you're going to battle old devils. Well, young, why is that important? Because you got to get it in your spirit. You can't bring your little cute sermon and your little cute idea and your new little program to fight old demonic strongholds. You got to get in the Holy Ghost. You got to get a call of God on your life. You got to search the deep things because you're walking with devils and demons and angels. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, devils. It's going to take more than a cute, cool, charismatic cupbearer. Serving up cool dishes for entertainment. And these old spirits begin to mock and begin to make fun of the vision. You'll never get it done. If a fox hopped up on your wall, it'd fall over. You'll never have revival in that city. You'll never get that building built. You'll build it and then you'll lose it because you don't have the money. You're, you're going under. You're not talented enough. There's been preachers fall into sin. You'll never have revival in this church again. You'll never have revival in this city because of all the hell. That, no, I want to tell you something. You got to do like Nehemiah. You got to go back to your call. You got to go back to what God gave you. And you got to keep declaring the vision. You got to keep telling yourself, my God is more able than I even realized. Nehemiah's response was, God will prosper. We will arise and build. I know we're not smart. I know we're not rich. I know we're not all of that. But our God will prosper us. And our God will sustain us. We're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to keep building. We're going to get up on Tuesday and we're going to keep building. We're going to get up on Sunday and we're going to keep building. Brother Brew, yet I don't care how bad it looks, buddy. Hold on to your vision. Keep swinging. Keep fighting. God is able. I know you've heard this, but just bear with me in my folly here. The walls are halfway up. Book continues. The walls are halfway up. Sanballat sees that the mockery hadn't worked. And he is now in a burning rage. He's wroth. You know, nothing burns a devil more than a church that won't quit. And a preacher that won't shut up. Nehemiah kept preaching and they kept building. They just kept getting up and they kept preaching and they kept building. 
The devil don't like it when a church keeps working. Oh, I'll tell you what we need. We need clean minds and dirty fingernails. We need to keep building. We need to keep preaching. We need to keep on keeping on. Boy, I feel like preaching here tonight. Sit down. I got to hurry. I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving to, I'm, I'm on base here. Not the final, but Brother Allard, I'm making my turn. So here's what happened. Sanballat and Tobiah, they're weasels, man. They're greasy. They begin, they begin to work, confer with one another. They begin to work on their connection. Do you know fear is a weapon? It's kind of like what's going on in the Ukraine today. Soldiers started showing up on people's front doorstep. Seen them pictures this week? Soldiers with no flags on their sleeves. They can't figure out if they're from the Ukraine or if they're from the Black Sea Naval or they're from Moscow. They can, they're just walking around through town. I saw pictures of it this week. And nobody can figure out who these guys are. And that's what, that's what started happening in Jerusalem and outside and around. But th th these, these enemies started showing up. Fear, striking heart, fear in the hearts of people. Intimidation, threats. What, what's going to happen and how it's all going to unfold. But <laughs> I like what Nehemiah said. So we built the wall. I'm kind of weird like that. I like little statements like that. Do you know what's going to happen to you tomorrow? So? What are they going to do, kill you? What are they going to do, shut your church down? We'll just go get another one, move across town. You know what? Hold on, hold on. This is a big note. When we moved in this, you know what our mortgage payment was a month? $67,000 a month. That'll keep you up. But there comes a point when you've done everything you can do. And you've tried everything you can try. And you got to go to bed that night and say, okay, you know what? You never sleep, you never slumber, so you're going to be up anyway. You worry about it, I'm going to bed. Some point, you got to get to the point where you say, you know what? Oh, well, I lose the building. It's God's church, it ain't mine. I'm going to do everything I can to hold on. I'm going to do everything I can to hold on to this little family and that little group. But at the end of the day, if they leave, oh, well, sorry, Nara, see you later. God's still going to have a church. I may not have this building. I may not have those friends. I may not have that family. But bless God, I'm a part of God's kingdom, and he's going to have a church. God, you're going to run that church down after Nate Wilson built it. Who do you think you're? I'll tell you who I am. I'm a called man of God. I don't care who's before, who's coming after. I've got an anointing, and God's going to sustain me. I told you, you got to get an attitude that said we can do it. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Maybe see. But here's what happens. Saints of God, you need to listen to this part. Here's what happens. Go to the walls. Are, they're almost 
They're over halfway. Here's what the devil does. He starts changing tactics. Mockery doesn't work. Then he sends fear. Then he starts running his mouth personally. And Sanballat began to work on families, the Bible said, that were near. Mm, I could preach about that. Pastor, you ever notice how the devil works on the people that are closest to you? How the devil will get to your kid. He can't get to you, but he'll get to your kids or he'll attack your wife. Or he'll attack the people that work closest with you. And, and the devil gets in. And that's what Sanballat started doing. Him and Tobiah. Those that were nearest to the work, he began to run his mouth to them. He began to talk to them. Begin to lie and begin to charge them and begin to discourage them. Can I warn somebody? You better be careful who you let talk into your life. You're supposed to be building the kingdom of God. And if the voices that are speaking to you are against the work of God, you need to cut them off of your IG and off of your Facebook and off your little cell phone and your little texting. You need to get back and say, wait a minute, I got a good word. I can't come down. I can't come down. I can't come down. I got to hurry. Let me, you, you know these well. The next thing that happened, I, here's, here's how the devil, de the devil did all that. Uh, Tobias and Sam Ballard, they did that. They started working. But, but Nehemiah's response was, I love this part. Maybe, the, maybe this whole needs to be a whole conference sometime. You know what his answer was to that? He set and appointed families. He didn't get men in the church. He didn't get key leaders in the church. The Bible said he got families. He set families in particular breaches in the wall. And he said, all right, I need the Diaz family. I need your wife. I need Olivia. I need you, Gerardo. I need you to take this, and I want you to guard this. What would happen if families rose up in our church? Not just daddy, not just a praying mama, but what if the kids did? What if mama did? What if daddy did? What if your family took it on and said, wait a minute, this is our church. This is our city. This is for our children. This is for our sons. This is for our daughter. My God, give us families that will fight for the city. See, so he set them in, he set them out. I'm hurrying. That didn't work. All that stuff didn't work. So the devil changed again. You, you may as well get ready. He's coming back tomorrow. So then, you, you can almost trace this through the history and development of a church. What happens now, they're moving toward completion. They prayed a long time. They fought a long time. They watched for a long time. And this is what happens next. I can see those demons, those old greasy suckers. Fear hadn't worked. Mockery hadn't worked. Scorn hasn't worked. Fighting hadn't worked. Let's try acceptance. Why don't you, you've been doing, you know, you're that little orthodox group there. Why don't you come out to the field with us? We would love to have your gifts. We would love to have your talent. We would love to meet with you in the plains of Ono. Oh, Let me tell you something. 
The pull of acceptance has destroyed a lot more than resistance ever has. But I like what Nehemiah said. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I know you want me on your little program. I know you want me in your little boys club, but I ain't forgot you still the enemy. You still want to stop everything God's will is for this city. And I can't come down because I'm doing a great work. You got to go back and revisit why you're there. You're not there to be accepted. You're there to rebuild the wall. You're there to fulfill Daniel 9, 25. You're there to do what God said to do, not to be accepted in the who's who club. Boy, the devil don't give up. He, he changes tactics again. He said, all right, you don't do that. We'll go super spiritual now. Mm. We'll pull the parking lot prophet. Maybe said, you ever notice those parking lot prophets? They always get that look on their face like they're something stinky. Mm. 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 Yeah, I say unto thee, I have a word for thee. Mm-hmm. I always wonder why they couldn't just say, hey, dude, God said this. Mm-hmm. You need to, somebody needs to hear this. You need to come into the temple. Pseudo-spirituality. Here's a spiritual thing you need to do. And it, it's a good thing to go to the temple. But that ain't what God called him to do. Don't give in to the other causes if it's not what God has called you to do. Don't trade in your call to start a church to go run something else. The church is not a stepping stool to a political career. The church is not a stepping stool to a business career. If God called you to a church, build a church and save souls and teach Bible study and build the wall. Sorry, I can't come down. I know that's good. That'd be a great thing. I'd love to do. I'd love to be, I, but I can't come down. Sorry, I, I'm doing a great work here. I can't come down. Musicians, come get ready. Chapters 1 through 6 of the restoration of the walls, 7 through 13 of the restoration of the people. The walls are built in 52 days. Jerusalem begins to grow. It becomes a mighty city. The Jews start leaving the fields where they've been surviving. They show up in the city. They're building it. They're, they're growing it. The community's growing. The church is growing. Hope you're getting all these parallels. I'd be here for two hours if I preached all this. So Nehemiah, I don't know why it's like this. Maybe it's just to show it to us. But Nehemiah, the, the walls are built. 52 days, it's done. Nehemiah takes a return trip. Goes back to Artaxerxes palace Some scholars say he was there for a number of months others say at least a year others say maybe three years 
He's gone for some time. He returns back to Jerusalem after his absence. And guess what? The cartel's still there. Man, I just knew my last Sunday night sermon was going to take care of that devil. When I preach this sermon, it's going to be so strong, every devil's going to leave this city, yeah? They're going to go get a Coke and be back tomorrow. He comes back to town. He sees some stuff. Sandballot had a daughter. She married the grandson of Eliashib, who was the high priest. She married the grandson of the high priest. Now, Sandballot had a connection. And so, Nehemiah's gone. I got my grandson hooked up with the high priest's daughter, so let's go to work. They begin to use the cartels now, using the familial influences against the will of God, using their relationships to thwart God's original vision for the city. And wouldn't you know it, Eliashib, the guy that starts off one chapter with what he was in charge of, and he was in charge of the storehouse, well, because his, you know, that kind of gets you know difficult because you don't want to offend your family, and Eliashib rents. What'd you stop for? I'd do everything better with gravy. Eliashib rents the rooms of the temple to, of all people, guess who? Anybody know? Tobiah. (laughs) Just happened to have a connection here. And he rents the rooms of the temple to Tobiah the Ammonite. So you got a Samaritan that's part of the mixed multitude that aren't supposed to have anything to do with the temple that's hooked his family up and now through that connection he's allowed an Ammonite, the enemy of God's people, to set up camp and Tobiah is now operating his business out of the house of God and he is living out of the temple. Scholars I read said the words that are used in the original indicate that he has actually moved into the house of God. So you got an Ammonite working and living under the roof of the temple that Zerubbabel laid the foundation for. These are old devils. Now as the result, the house of God is neglected. And what happens, I'll have all you preachers' attention right here. Tobiah's scheme has depleted the resources of the temple and people have quit paying tithe. Guess what happened? The Levites had to go back to the field and start working. Tobiah's been cheating the Levites out of the tithe. So Nehemiah comes rolling into town. At this point, Nehemiah has transferred in my vantage point from being a cupbearer with his R. Douglas suit and his wingtip shoes. He's got on a silver belt buckle. and He's got on cowboy boots. He looks a little bit like that guy that preached this morning. 
he rolls into town he walks into the temple he's not carrying wine glasses he's not polishing stained glass windows he's kicking tail and taking names he starts grabbing people by the hair of the head get out of here he walks in and finds a priest that's in there that's been profiting off of the people that are in pain and neglect he looks around and sees Levites out of the field that are supposed to be serving the temple he starts running people he said I chased that guy out of the house of God and Tobiah gets kicked out and the little weasel greasy old snake snake weasel that's what he is it's a weasel little snake you know what he does let me show you what he does so y'all think I'm making all this up he leaves town or across town and does his own little thing. Ashley, you got that ready? Let me show you something. Y'all know what that is right there? What does that look like? It looks like the temple, don't it? You can't see it very well. If you were to walk up to that entrance to the right of that, you would see inscribed, that is the ruins of what is now called that's about 12 miles south of Amman Jordan that is the castle of the slave and carved on the front entrance is the name Tobiah Nehemiah came back and started fixing stuff and Tobiah said I'll go do my own thing now there's debate whether that was him or his kids or his grandkids that built that but that's still there and the name Tobiah is still there I told you you're battling old devils that ain't gonna go away tomorrow they're gonna be there five years from now they're gonna be 500 years from now if the Lord tarries you gotta make up your mind you ain't going nowhere either even if they go across town <laughs> Don't you let a little snake like Tobiah run you out of town. You square your shoulders, tie your guns down low, put on your boots, and start walking back to church. Get in that pulpit and start well, Brother Young, you said that you said that scripture. This story had to do with who God was and Messiah. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because you thought I was like some other preachers that start and never finish. All right. Not only did he have to do, deal with Tobiah walking across town. Remember that guy he said, I chased out 13 in verse 28? I think they got that. Verse 13, 28 of chapter 13. The Bible said that, and one of the sons of Joahada, or however you say that, Joey, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son of... Some of y'all thought I made that up. That's in the Bible. If you'd read it, you'd see that. It'd share a lot of light on those commentaries. Was the son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. 
That's the joker he ran out of the church. But that ain't all there is to that part of the story. Did you know Josephus talked about that guy? Josephus records who that guy's name was. That guy's name was Manassas. Well, why is that important? Let me tell you what Manassas did. Anybody know what Manassas did? Manassas, when he got run out, he couldn't do his Ammonite thing. He said, okay, I'll go do my own thing. You won't let me have church my way. I'll go do church my way myself, and I'll do it bigger and better than you. And so what Manassas did is he went over to a place called Mount Gerizim. The very guy that Nehemiah ran out of the temple is the guy that went to Samaria and built the temple at Mount Gerizim. So now Nehemiah's got to get up every day and look at what the Samaritans are looking at. And one day, a few hundred years later, there's a guy walking with 12 disciples and he said, you guys go on in and get your food. I must needs go through Samaria. And he walks into Samaria and he sits down by a woman at the well and he looks at her and she says, our fathers worship on this mountain. I told you, it had to do with who God was. It had to do with worship. And Jesus looked at her and said, woman, you don't even know what you worship. You've been following a rebel from a long way back. You've been worshiping stuff you have no business worshiping. But the hour is come when the true worshiper, the true worshiper. I'm telling you, preacher, keep preaching. Whether they're building temples or they're building castles, you just keep preaching. They pull up next to you in their Bentley and go back to their castle and they preach to a temple. You go back to your storefront and declare the vision. You go back to your storefront and declare the vision. Don't you be intimidated by the devil one more day. Because the prophecy, the commandment to restore and build the city, Messiah is going to be seven weeks. But the street's going to be built again. And the wall in troublous times. Shout, I can't come down. Shout, I can't come down. It's hard. Y'all gotta help me. I said it's hard. I'm tired. I feel like giving up. They're lying about me. They're talking about me. I don't have any money. I don't know how we're gonna get it done. But I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. I'm gonna keep preaching. I'm gonna keep singing. I'm gonna keep coming to church. I can't come down. I can't come down. I can't come down.
dealing with. I don't know what hell's come crazy loose in your life. But I want you to give some room to some pastors that are here. You're a home missionary pastor. Maybe you're an evangelist. Maybe, maybe you've been pastoring a while and all hell's breaking loose in your life and your church. Get down here quick, 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 quick. Come on, don't you be embarrassed. My God, we're fixing to go to war. I know we ain't going to kill that devil. He's going to be back tomorrow. But guess what? You're going to be back tomorrow too. And you're not giving up, Doug Walker. You're going to keep preaching. You're going to have revival in Ukiah. It's going to break. Brother Freeze, it's going to happen, buddy. You just keep preaching. Brother Bruyette, you just keep preaching. Brother Boldy, I know that Winslow, Arizona, everybody said to burn over field. Standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. If you know that, you have backslid. There ain't nothing in Winslow. They ain't even a good store hardly, except there's a man of God there. My grandpa and grandmother rolled into Winslow, Arizona at 80 years old. She didn't know it. They had just come from India. She had got cancer. She didn't know, but she was dying. She, they came to Winslow, Arizona driving through. They looked around and said, there ain't no church here. Let's start a church. And that church is there and that man's pastoring it. I'm telling you, you just keep preaching. Those are old devils, but you're going to have revival. You're going to have victory. I claim it in Jesus' name. Keep preaching. Keep believing. fighting your family it's family time if your family you ought to get your kids and your wife and say we're gonna build this wall we're gonna build this city we're gonna have revival we're getting behind the man get down here right now it's time to 